My name is Israel. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. It's an honor to be here again with you this morning. Last week we were visiting, I don't know if you remember, Robbie. He was doing a residency here for a year, I think. And now he's a pastor in Westchester. I was preaching there last week. But I'm glad I'm back. If you haven't come in during the last weeks, you know that we're studying the book of they pay attention, Jason. The book of Ephesians. We're doing the book of Ephesians, and if you remember, we, we often tell you about the background, because the background of the book is really important. The book of Ephesians was written to the churches in Ephesus, to people that had different backgrounds and diverse stories. They were Jewish, people that have heard about God in the old about the, about God because of the Old Testament. There were also people that have never heard about God before. And all those different backgrounds and stories were now together in, a, in churches. They have become one, they have become a family. This morning we are going to read Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32. If you have a the Pew Bibles, the Bibles are right there by you. I believe it's page 978, 978. So you can follow along as I'm reading this. Again, we're going to be seeing Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32. Let me read the word of God to you. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, let the, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk. Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instructions that you are giving us this morning in this book of Ephesians. And we all come here from different places, different, uh, with different stories, Lord. We all somehow celebrated, and if we didn't, we remember that we had Thanksgiving on Thursday. And we thank you for that. And I thank you that we have the opportunity to come here this morning to worship you. Whatever happened last week with our families, it can be really hard. We are thankful that we have this family in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
being part of a new family is hard. And it's not like you decide to leave your family and then just join another one. But when you move to one place to another place, if you haven't gone to church your whole life, you join a new church and it becomes your family. And it's different than the church you used to go. When you marry somebody, whether you like it or not, I do, okay? You join a new family too, the extended family. And if you have grown in the same country, same city, you may have similar reasons, but each family has their own traditions. Well, I moved from another country, so Thanksgiving was very new to me. Had to learn new traditions, new customs, phrases, that taking a nap right after you eat is okay. And it's not easy. And the same happened when these people joined each other in a church. They had different stories. Like I said at the beginning, they were Jewish and non-Jewish. There were people that grew up listening to the Ten Commandments and people that did not. So out of the Jewish tradition, one of the things that was very common was lying. Lying was the norm. You had to lie to get ahead. It was part of, it was normal to, to lie in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture. And all of that, not only lying, but other things, those were brought in into the church. So when Paul writes this letter, he gives us five exhortations of how to live the Christian life. Last week, Jesus was talking about putting off the old self, that once you become Christian, you're a new person. You belong to a new family. So you put off your old self, put it behind, and put on the new self. A couple of minutes ago, I asked Jason and Margie about who are the eagle's biggest rival. I didn't ask who do, who do eagle's friends hate as a rival. And he said the cowboys and then... No, she said the Cowboys, he said the Patriots, and then really quick they decided it was the Cowboys. The Cowboys is the biggest rival, I guess, of the Eagles, right? When you play them, you don't like each other. So putting off the old self and putting on the new self, it will be like transferring from the Cowboys to the Eagles. Okay? If you have moved from the Cowboys, Cowboys to the Eagles team, you don't put that jersey again, do you? You shouldn't. It will be bad publicity. You will get in trouble with your coach, your teammates, and you will be punished somehow. You will suffer the consequences. Because from now, now after you became an Eagles player, you have to wear their jersey. Wherever you go, you represent them, not just on the field, on training, before and after. You are an Eagles player. That's the idea of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. If I were in Texas, I would be using the same illustration, I promise, I wouldn't switch it, okay? <laughs> but that's the idea. When you become a Christian, you have left your old self behind, and you don't go back to it. You put on your new self. But you know what the problem is? That life is not a game. Life is complicated, and many times we miss the old self even though we have been adopted and become God's children. Let me read your story 
of a pastor from the D.C. area. He talks about how his family adopted a child into theirs. He says, when I was a child, my minister father brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger, whose parents had died from a drug overuse. There was no one to take care for Roger. So my folks decided they would just raise him and as if he were one of our, our, our own. At first, it was quite difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home, an environment free of heroin-addicted adults. Every day, several times a day, I heard my parents saying to Roger, no, no, that's not how we behave in this family. No, no, you don't have to scream or fight or hurt other people to get what you want. No, no, Roger, we expect you to show respect in this family. And in time, Roger began to change. Now, did Roger have to make all those changes to be part of the family? Of course not. He was already part of the family. But did he then have to work hard because he was in a new family? Yes, he did. He had to change and leave his old habits behind. He was in a new family, and he was, to, he was expected to behave as such. And he did so because he was motivated by gratitude for the incredible love he had received. The love he had received motivated him to change and to obey his new father, his new mother. He was not alone. It was not easy. There were a lot of no-nos. There were siblings helping him to behave as he should in this new family. It is the same for us as Christians. If you are part of Christ's family, do you have to obey God to gain his favor? No, you don't. Do you have to obey God to stay in the family? No, you don't. But do you have to obey God? Of course you do. Of course we do. Because now we are under a new father. We are under a new set of rules. Our old self was put, a, put away, put off. We are wearing a new jersey now. We are part of God's family. And yes, we have to work hard at it. And he knows it's very hard. It's very hard to obey God's commandments. It's very hard to obey, to obey his word. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, the great helper, to help us, to be among us as we cry to our Father, as we suffer and try to follow him. He has given us the church, the family, to walk among us as we are in this journey. So the first exhortation that we see here is, Paul is telling us, do not lie. He says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And like I said, lying was the norm for, uh, for these cultures. 
It was very, very relevant, relevant in the Asian culture. The Greeks, the Romans, and the pagans did it in their daily lives. And now they are Christians and they have brought that to the church. And that's not very different from us. Our culture, yeah, we have, we in this country claim, we are some, some claim that this is a Christian nation or that it was founded with Christian backgrounds, therefore we are better than others. But still lying is very, very relevant out there. You're strong on the news and go to C-SPAN. That's a channel for the politicians, right? You can tell right away what they said a month ago or five years ago. It's very different from what they say now. Whatever party you are in, whatever kind of politics you like, you will, you will say there is lying. And there's not just lying in politics. There's also lying, lying at work. And it has become so normal that we even have cute nicknames for it, like white lies. Right? White, it's a white lie when you say something to protect somebody or not to hurt somebody. We call them white lies. Paul says in Colossians, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices. See, in the church, there is no room for lying. And that is hard. That is hard because if you're coming from the outside into a new family, and you have that as part of your own background, or it comes so normal to you, you don't want to stop right away when you open the doors and walk in. It is hard. But Paul is telling us there is no room for lying in the church. In verse 14, he says that we have to speak the truth in love. Now, because I tell you, don't lie as the seventh commandment, I mean, as Paul is telling us here, that doesn't mean that you're going to go back to whoever you spend Thanksgiving with and you're going to tell them, well, I didn't like the turkey. My pastor told me not to lie, and you know what? It wasn't good. It says to speak the truth in love, okay? We have to be thoughtful of how we speak the truth. We have to be careful of how to do it. We have to think about how the other one is going to receive it. Speak the truth in love. In Paul's exhortation, it's interesting that he doesn't say, do not lie because that offends the Father, that offends God. Because of course, that's the highest reason why we shouldn't lie. We're made, under the, we're made in the image of God. We should reflect him. We should not lie because the Father is not a father of lies. He doesn't say that. What does he say? For we are members of one another. That's how that's, God loves so much the church that he's telling us, don't lie because it hurts my people. It hurts the unity of the church. You belong to one another. So leave that behind. That's your old self. You're a new creation now. Speak the truth in love. That leads us to the second exhortation. It says, in your anger, do not sin. That comes from Psalm 4. Let me read the verse 4.4. Paul is telling us here, be angry and do not sin. 
do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Through the Old Testament, anger is viewed, I mean, through, through scriptures that all in the New Testament, anger is viewed as something that we should avoid. He's telling us here that we are going to be angry. He's not telling us do not be angry. So he's not giving us permission. Again, at the same time, he's not giving us permission. Okay, well, he says when you're angry, so I can be angry anytime I want. No, that's not the point. The point is when you're angry, do not sin. James tells us to be slow to anger. We see that God gets anger against injustice. We see that Jesus goes to the temple and flips the tables. And he was angry because of what people were doing in the house of God. We are imitators of God. We reflect him. We are made under his, in his image. So, yeah, sometimes we're going to be angry. And it's okay to be angry for the right reasons. God is angry against sin that impacts people and society. God is angry at injustice. So when we are angry at things like that, things that offend God, things that hurt others, it's okay. Still is telling us in the book of James, be slow to anger. You know why? Because when we get angry, anger, that's a tricky one. When we get angry, when we get angry, we let anger conquer us instead of us controlling it. It's really easy to flip from being upset and angry against injustice to start sinning against the people that do the injustice. And then you start hating people. You start judging people. In our anger, we should be careful not to sin. Anger leads to sin if we let it sit too long. That's what Paul is telling us. Fix it quick. Some families are divided because of an issue that happened years ago. Somebody offended somebody really, really bad, and nobody dealt with it. And they said, it'll be fine. Just let it cool off. But you can feel the tension. The, people, the person that, that got offended is still hurting. That person still remembers what was said or done against him or her, while the others might have forgotten. Anger divides families. Anger divides churches. Anger keeps you away from God. When you let it grow and grow and grow, it goes deep into our hearts. That is why Paul is telling us, deal with it soon. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about murder. And then he says that if you become angry to your, against your brother or your sister, you have that resentment. He's comparing us Comparing that with murder. That's how bad anger is. So if you are here this morning and you haven't hurt and you feel some resentment and anger against somebody, call them. 
or talk to one of your pastors or elders, and we help you how to deal with it. But you have to get it out of your system. It's not something that I'm telling you from my own wisdom. It's what Paul is telling us. Don't let anger sit in your heart. Because that will open the door for Satan to put a foot in your life and destroy it. The next one, the next exhortation, Paul is talking about a life free of stealing. It says, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That one sounds very easy. Do not steal. Don't take what is not yours. Right? But I think there's more, a lot more in this verse. We see the change. We see repentance. We see that we have to go from stealing to work. There's a change there. We have to do honest work with our own hands. And the reason for that, Paul is not telling us is that so that you can provide for your family. Also, though you're not tempted to steal anymore. But look what he's saying. So, well, those reasons are good, okay? Don't hear what I'm not saying. But he's saying, work hard so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See the change? The seventh commandment do not steal. There is a lot here. There is change. There is repentance. I'm getting blurry vision. Let's see. Don't tell my wife. Oh, she's right there. Don't tell my wife. I don't need glasses. <laughs> it is it's not easy to give to others because we're greedy. And it's even harder to give to others that are not able to return the favor to you. Because so many times we share, we give, we want recognition, we want something back. But here Paul is talking about giving to the needy. People that cannot give back. And I believe here... Stealing is more than just money or taking things like material things. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. Our talents, our gifts, our time. So I think that can be applied to that as well. So the question is, how are we stealing from God? Remember, all of this is written in the context of the church, okay? How to take care of each other. We are members of each other. Give to the needy. We see in Acts 2 that the church was not in need because people were selling their things to give to the brothers and sisters that were in need. I'm not telling you to sell your house to give to somebody else. It was a different context and a different time. But if you are called to do that, go ahead. The idea is here that 
the Lord has given us so much, we have to give back. We have to give to the church our time, our talents. Maybe you're a singer here and you're shying away. You're not telling anybody. We would love to have you come and sing with us. Maybe you're an artist, but you're so busy that you could use your talent helping the church. Or maybe you're really good with kids. We could use your help in the nursery. And why am I saying all of this? Because God has given you those talents and those gifts to be used for the benefit of others. The next one, the fourth one, verses 29 and 30, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, there is a change from let no corrupting talk to a talk that builds up, that is good. Among, uh, if you're a foreigner, probably you know, or if you're having overseas, you know the app uh, WhatsApp. There's another app, I'm confessing my thing now, there's another app to create memes. You know what those are? Funny phrases and funny faces. I had to delete it this week after reading this passage and study for the sermon. Because with my high school friends, I started to create memes and we were making fun of each other. And I was the one doing it a lot. They would ask me, hey, can you make a meme of that guy? And I, I will do it. You know. But then I thought about it, reading this passage, and while I thought it was okay to live in sarcasm with a group of eight people, that we were okay with that, the time came when some of us got offended. And while I tried to pretend for two or three years that this was innocent, it was not. They don't know Christ. I'm, I'm a pastor. They look at me and they say, well, you should. Look, it was the pastor Israel that created this. And I'm like, ha-ha, I'm laughing with my group of friends. But no, I'm hurting them. And it's so silly. But we have to be very careful with what we say. We have to be very careful with what we do. Because we are the light to the world of darkness. And those little things, they impact people. Such a talk, such a meme shouldn't have room in a Christian person. Uh, St. Augustine had a phrase on his in his dining room when people came to eat, and he said, he who speaks of evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome in this table. That's how hard he took this. My mom used to say, Si no tienes nada bueno que decir, no lo digas. If you have nothing good to say, don't say it. 
I think you have that phrase in English too. We try to teach that to our kids. Because words matter. And they last, just like the anger, they last for a long time. You can do really stupid things. You can get into a wreck and crash your friend's car. You can hurt somebody by accident. And those things, what they hurt, they are forgotten in time. But if you say some hard words to a person, they last forever. They stay in their hearts. When you tell some, somebody, oh, you are a liar, instead of saying, oh, you're lying, that's not good. Oh, you are mean, especially to kids. When we use those adjectives to describe people, they hurt, and people remember, remember them. Or you're not bright enough. You need help. Sometimes we don't mean it to hurt others, but we have to think about how other people are hearing it. We have to use our words to build up others. When we do that, we give grace to those that hear it. And the next verse, 30, use the word and. It's connecting it to the previous one. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In 2 Corinthians, it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So Christ has saved us. He has put his seal on us so that when we go before God, we say, hey, I believe. I believe, and God looks at us. And if we have the Holy Spirit, that's a guarantee that our words are true, that we are really sealed, that we are really children of God. Because even Satan believes that Jesus existed. Even Satan knows that Jesus resurrected. But that's not good enough for salvation. We have to have the guarantee, which is the Holy Spirit. And when we are having corrupting talks in the church, we are grieving him. We are grieving him. Jesus prays in John 17 for the unity of the church. But when we bring this baggage... We're dividing the church, and that grieves the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, of God unites us. It makes you and me brothers and sisters, people that I haven't even said hi yet, haven't met you yet, been coming here for a month or more, but you're my sister and my brother in Christ. We're united in the Holy Spirit. And when we bring this division, we're hurting him who lives in us. That leads us to the last exhortation. This last section is the last one where the Paul is using to talk about putting off the old and putting on the new. He's telling us to get rid of six immoral behaviors and adopt three virtues. Let me read... Uh, those verses to you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander 
be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think, I think here when he says all bitterness, he's using to modify the rest. I think that the rest of the words here like wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and all malice, they describe bitterness. And we see the change from bitterness to what? To be kind. The old self and the new self. And we are to do that. We are to forgive each other because Christ forgave us. Let's go more into what this verse is saying. Bitterness comes from the heart. It's similar to anger. But this is a different kind of anger. Remember I was telling you before. The anger for the right reasons at the right time against the right things is okay. This kind of anger here comes from bitterness. From sitting in your anger for too long. From having that resentment of years ago when you were hurt and you didn't come and confronted that person and tell them, hey brother, hey mom, hey dad, you did this to me. That bitterness comes from not forgiving each other. And it results, it brings what? Slender. Doesn't it? Brawling. When we are going back to the old self, and if we have the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit tells us, no, no, child. That's not how we act in this family. That is what the Holy Spirit does with us. It's happened to me almost every time, if I think about it, that I'm about to sin, or every time that I'm walking in sin, somehow God talks to me, and tells me that's not who you are. And opens another door for you to exit, doesn't it? Don't you feel that way? Or am I a weirdo? That when you're in a dangerous situation about to sin or you're in sin, God presents the option to get out of it right away. He's telling you, no, no, that's not who you are. No, no, that's not how we act in this family. And a lot of times we don't listen, shut the door and sit in our anger. And God knows that we're going to fail. That's what he gave us. The church. The Holy Spirit. Verse 32. Paul is telling us. Be kind. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. See the contrast from bitterness. To kindness. Kindness. is part of who God is. This is character. As we are okay to be angry for the right reasons because God gets angry, we are made in his image. We get angry. God is kind. We ought to be kind to one another. This is an attribute of God. We see that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. 
the Old Testament, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good in the translation, the Septuagint in Greek, the Old Testament, it says, kind. That the Lord is kind. He has been kind to us, sending Jesus Christ. He has been kind to us by giving us the church and his word. Tender-hearted people. It's the kind of people that... They might not be related to you, but if you're suffering, they suffer with you. It's the kind of people that if you're rejoicing, they might be down, but the fact that you're rejoicing, they rejoice with you. That's tender-hearted people. That's who we ought to be as children of God. We have to be in relationship with each other. We have to feel for each other. We have to walk together as a family. There's a person like that that I know. Uh, his name is Tim Baldwin. I worked with him for like two or three years. We didn't become best friends. But I love being around him. When I was in seminary, uh, I wanted to be just a little bit as smart as Calvin. You know, to spend a lot of time, a lot of time reading books. I read that he woke up every day like at 4 a.m., to study, so there was a time that I was waking up at five. You know, <laughs> I can't do that anymore. But if I think about it, those two guys super smart, and then I think about my friend Tim. Uh, with Tim, he pro- he hasn't written any books that I know. But man, wherever he went, you could see the kindness in his heart. He's the kind of person that. You feel God's presence when you're around him. He will listen to you. When you talk to him, he will smile. He will ask the right questions. He would would have positive things to say. May I wish I was at him. I could see how walking with the Lord, how much he loved Jesus, how that shaped who he was. I'm alone to be like that, even if I could be like that a little bit. And that's the kind of uh, change, the kind of things that we ought to expect here in the church. There was a lot of do's and don'ts, right? We are to love others. We will love. We have to forgive each other because we are going to break all the do's. We are, not, we are going to do a lot of the don'ts. We're going to do it. That's what... Paul is telling us, forgive one another. Why? Because Christ forgave you. And I know this sounds, again, like a list of things that are really hard to obtain or to do in your daily lives. And God knows that. God knows that you will fail. Probably not as much as I do. God knows that we will fail. That's why he gave us, again, the church. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. We are in his family. We have been adopted, we have been sealed, and we have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit that he will not leave us, that he will be with us. We have to recognize that we cannot do this by ourselves. We need the strength and the power 
of the Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ. We need that power in our lives. How do we experience that? In community, through the sacraments, through the Word. We read earlier about the light, how the light came into darkness. So when we leave this building today, is the world that lives in that lives in darkness, is it going to see the light? I hope so. I hope that as I walk out of here and you walk out of here, we can take this light with us that God came and brought light into darkness. But not just as a theory, but in reality, in our lives, as we walk outside of here, let's put away lies and righteous anger, greed, corrupted talk, a life of bitterness. And God knows this is hard. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Remember who you are as you walk out of here? You don't play for the cowboys anymore. Nor the eagles. Okay? As, as much as you would like. We're in God's team now. We wear his jersey wherever we go. And he is with us and for us. Let's remember that. And if you are here this morning and you want to experience it, you don't have a church, but you want to experience the love of God, come. Come here that in our brokenness, we're going to try to love you as much as we can. And forgive us when we offend you. We don't mean to. We need, us, we need Christ as much as you do. And if you're here this morning, but you don't believe in God, but you would like to be in a community like this, come and join us. We hope that you become a child of God. But what you're doubting, but you long to be in a family like this, come. Come and meet with us. We work together with you. We'll try to love you as much as we can. We cannot convert you. We cannot change you. Only the Lord can. And we'll try to give you that, the Lord, in everything we do. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that transforms us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells in us. I pray that as we keep worshiping you this morning, we remember that, that we will remember how much we need you and how grateful we are that you have forgiven us when we were, when we were giving you our backs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.